Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Hitchcock Happy Hour. I'm Lydia Jordan. And I'm Sarah Shaw, and we're finally here. <laughs> we made it. Where have we been? We don't know. We don't know. No, we do know. We we've do. been stressed. Yeah, that's where we've been. It's been a little, it's been a little stressy, depressy lately, but it's fine. I was just are. gonna say that. <laughs> we're the same. I've had like three men TBs this week, and it's only Tuesday, so we'll see. I was gonna say I had a little breakdown earlier, but we're okay now. We're good. Yeah, we're here to talk about a movie that I was like, great. We're in animation month. It's gonna be sweet. It's gonna be like children's movies, no drama. This movie is terrifying. This movie is the drama. <laughs> it is the drama. Um, but I am excited to talk about it. So this week we are starting our animation series and we are going to be discussing the original uh, cartoon, the first full length feature cartoon film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And I'm really excited about it. But before we get into it, um, Lydia, can you please tell us what we're drinking today? It would be my absolute pleasure because I am obsessed with this cocktail. I am too. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It is a yogurt and jam cocktail. It is it is everything to me. Um, I was inspired by my favorite childhood snack, which apparently people find hilarious. Lulu was like, only... By the way, Lulu's my like best friend. We also have a podcast. but Because they're like, who's Lulu? Who is this girl? Um... Why am I talking so much? Um, anyways, she was like, only you would have jam and yogurt as a favorite childhood snack. Like, that's uniquely you. Well, she's <laughs> wrong because it is it is also my favorite childhood snack. And we know oh this. Oh my god, see? Yeah. We do know this. But I'm like, is it like an Oregon thing? I because I feel like maybe because, it is. I so we love jam. And I don't really know what else there is to say about it other than jam is amazing. Um, it's always bonded us in a way that is just so like I just feel so seen like no one else <laughs> understands my like jam obsession I am like very into it <laughs> much like the pectin bonds the sugar and the berry together <laughs> in a perfect jam like a perfect jam <laughs> you're the pectin to my berry Wow, thank you. Oh my god, it's really going, it's going great. But Lydia created this cocktail for us, she invented it, and I love it. Um, and it's it's just so good, super easy, it takes like three minutes to make. You can yeah, use either gin or four vodka. four ingredients. So yeah. simple. And really refreshing, honestly, is a great seasonal transition because it's like refreshing and has like a fruity kind of like flowery taste. But also is creamy, so it can be kind of like a cozy fall cocktail, too. So I love it. It's 20 out of 10. Highly recommend this one. Nice job, Lydia. <laughs> Thank you. Our cocktail um, you queen. Weirdly just reminded me of when you said creamy. Berries and cream. <laughs> berries and cream. <laughs> <laughs> I That's love what this cocktail is. <laughs> Anyone... Shout out to that uh, Star Wars commercial. Anybody remember that from, like, the sixth grade? That's a, that's a core memory for me. So. Oh God, the, the little, like, like jester or whatever that would do. With the, the weird, he had that yeah. weird hat on. Oh, my God, that was so funny. Such a wow. weirdly imprinted memory. Core memory me. unlocked. Thank you. What isn't a core memory for me is this movie because I didn't really remember much about, like, I... I 
I had all of these Disney movies, like the original Disney cartoons, all on the in the like twenty fifth anniversary plastic VHS box sets. I know which one you're yeah. talking about, and it had the little gold thing on yes. the top that said twenty fifth anniversary. Yes. It has the same one. Yes, <laughs> but I so I watched all of them probably like once, but they weren't really my favorite. I actually preferred Pixar when I was growing up, so I didn't really like spend too much time with Disney cartoons. Like I've seen them all once, but I never. Like, we really, really revisited them as an adult. So this was actually my first time watching Snow White since I was probably, like, four or five. Um, so I, like, I know the gist because, like, it is literally the blueprint of, like, any, like, fantasy, you know, like, true love's kiss story. But um, I didn't remember how, like, incredibly dark this movie is. And, yeah, so I'm excited to get into very dark. Well, and you know what I remembered, too? I had this weird memory of, I was like, I, so if you, if you lived on the West Coast growing up, you went to Disneyland. I went to Disneyland a lot as a kid. My dad's like a huge Disney fan. I was like, I think that the name of the ride for Snow White that's in Fantasyland is called Snow White Scary Adventure. And I was like, wait, no, they wouldn't call it that. This is for kids. That's really like fucked up. I googled it, and no, it is called Snow White Scary Adventure because they knew what they were doing. This this movie is so fucked. It's super fucked up, and we're going to talk about it, and I'm excited to jump in. So, uh, without further ado, let's jump in. Similar plot structure or episode structure that you all know and love. So, let's get into it. Um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is a 1937 American animated musical fantasy film Produced by Walt Disney Productions and released by RKO Radio Pictures. Didn't know that, but like shout out to RKO, one of the one of the OG production uh, studios. Does not exist anymore. <laughs> Did shut down very many years ago. Um, the the movie is based on the 1812 German fairy tale by the Brothers Grimm, which explains why it's incredibly dark. If you are familiar with Grimm fairy tales, they are in fact very grim. <laughs> um, ironically or not ironically Ironically, I that might be why we use that term I actually don't know if we don't it is a very strong coincidence um as I said it is the first full-length traditionally animated feature film and the first Disney full-length animated feature film um so it's Disney's like first big like you know long movie although it's not that long but up until then they'd only been doing kind of like short Mickey Mouse cartoons so the story was adapted by storyboard artists Dorothy Ann Blank, Richard Creedon, Meryl Damaris, Otto Englander, Earl uh, Earl Hurd, and Dick Ricard, Ted Sears, and Webb Smith. There were a lot of people working on this movie. Yeah. Um, it was a critical and commercial success uh, when it came out. It actually, with international earnings, um, it earned more than $8 million in its initial release in 1937, and the budget was only $1.5 million. So it did, like, wow. super well, made a ton of money. You know, it the budget was, like, pretty pretty low for that time. Um, it actually briefly held the record for highest-grossing sound film at the time when it was released in 1937, it held that title until Gone with the Wind came out two years later. So it was wow. the highest grossing sound movie until Gone with the Wind, uh, which is really fun. Um, it's number one on AFI's best animated film list and number 34 on AFI's 100 greatest movies list. Um, I'm pretty sure, and I don't remember actually if this is 100% accurate, but I am pretty sure it was nominated for 
um, some Oscars. I don't Academy think, Award. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was nominated for, like, best film, like, best motion picture, but it got a lot of special awards because nothing like this had ever been done before. So, um, yeah, let's kind of just jump into the plot because it is, uh, it is a plot that we, we know and love, but we'll kind of break it down. So, um, the plot starts with Snow White having lost both of her parents at a young age. She is a princess living with her wicked and cold-hearted stepmother, the evil queen, or just the queen at this point, <laughs> although she is evil. Um, fearing that Snow White's beauty will outshine her own, the queen forces her to work as a scullery maid and asks her magic mirror daily who is the fairest of them all. Uh, for years, the mirror always answers that the queen is the fairest of them all, which is pleasing to her. But one day, the magic mirror informs the queen that Snow White is in fact the fairest in all the land. On that same day, Snow White meets and falls in love with a prince who overhears her singing in the forest. She's just singing somewhere. No, I don't she's remember. in the castle. Yeah, she's, she's in her castle. Into a well. She sings like a lot. I, I couldn't remember what time, which part it was. <laughs> it's hard to remember. There she is was a lot singing. Of singing. <laughs> he falls in love with her when she's singing. Um, very common in these Disney movies for a prince to just fall in love with somebody without actually uh, speaking to them or knowing anything about them. But here we are. Um, and that's how you know it's true. We're love. gonna talk about we're gonna talk about this fucking wet noodle of a prince in this movie. He's so fucking boring. He doesn't even have a name. So <laughs> literally the worst prince of all time. Like the prince from Cinderella, also up there. But this guy is yeah. I don't know. Yeah, not sure. Not sure what the animators were doing there. But anyway, um, so angered, the queen orders her huntsmen to take Snow White into the forest and kill her bringing back her heart uh, in a jeweled box. And so the huntsman does this, but feeling guilty, he spares her life once they get into the forest and begs for forgiveness, revealing that the queen wants her dead. He then urges her to flee into the woods and never return. Lost and frightened, Snow White is befriended by woodland creatures who lead her to a cottage deep in the woods. Finding seven small chairs in the cottage dining room, Snow White assumes that the cottage is the untidy home of seven orphaned children. With the animal's help, she proceeds to clean the place and cook a meal. Uh, as it turns out, the cottage is actually belonging to seven adult dwarves. You know them, you love them. Doc, Grumpy, Happy, Sleepy, Bashful, Sneezy, and Dopey, who work in a nearby mine. Returning home, um, you know, singing their little minor song. Their little, their little hi-ho. Little hi-ho. Um, they are alarmed to find that the cottage is clean and suspect that an intruder has invaded their home. Also, nicest intruder of all time. I know, I was like, can I get that intruder? That sounds great. (laughs) It was like that, that news story that came out a while ago of, like, this lady who broke into someone's house and, like, did their dishes and folded their laundry and everyone's like, is she free on Tuesday? (laughs) Yeah, you can come over. (laughs) Uh, so Snow White is that kind of an intruder. Uh, the dwarves find Snow White upstairs asleep across the three of their beds. She wakes up to find the dwarves are beside her, introduces herself, and all of the dwarves eventually welcome her into their home after she offers to clean and cook for them. 1937. Anyway. Uh, let's, let's not forget. She's like, I make a really good gooseberry pie. I was trying to remember the fruit. I was like, what fruit was it? It was something like random. Yeah, it was like a really like random. Lingonberry? No, it was like also, a weird 30s what? fruit. Where is this supposed to be set? Because it's like clearly kind of European. Well, I mean, it's maybe grim. it's fictional. So it would be like, so it's Germany, like Germany? I would guess. But she was, 
did you notice she was wearing clogs? Which I was like, also, those are kind of chic. Oh, yeah, she was wearing clogs. And because nobody, like, has really a name. Like, everyone's. Everyone is just like what they are, like the yeah. queen, like, the prince, it's like the evil, the yeah. queen, Snow yeah. White, I guess, but it's not like Snow a White, room. yeah. So, we it's really it's kind of um it's TBD where they are, but I, we're guessing somewhere in like Central Europe is where I would guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So she keeps the house for the dwarves while they mine for jewels during the day, and at night they all sing, play music, and dance. Back in the castle, the magic mirror reveals that Snow White is still living. And is living with the dwarves. Enraged that the huntsman had tricked and betrayed her, the queen creates a poison apple uh, that will put whoever eats it in a sleep like death. Here's my thing. If you're going to go out of your way to create a poison apple, like, why not just go the extra step and make it, like, actually poisonous? You know what I mean? I mean, I don't disagree with you. So that's, I think that's feels, just her own It feels fault. sloppy. It feels sloppy. It feels sloppy. But... That's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, she learns that the curse can only be broken by uh, love's first, first kiss, but is cer- certain that Snow White will be buried alive before this can ever happen. Um, see, she's, she's assuming too much. Like, this is, the, this is her yeah, problem. You can't, yeah, you can't make assumptions like that. I mean, honestly, you should have just stabbed her. Should, like, let's yeah. be real. <laughs> You're literally alone with this, like, helpless girl. Like, you, you could probably win. I think you can take her. <laughs> Anyway, um, using a potion to disguise herself as an old hag, the queen goes to the cottage while the dwarves are away. The animals attack her, but Snow White defends her, thinking that she's just like this old woman. Um, Unable to warn Snow White, the animals rush off to find the dwarves. Claiming the apple is a magical wish-granting apple, the queen fools Snow White into biting into it. Snow White falls into a deep sleep, and the queen proclaims that she is now the fairest in all the land. The dwarves return with the animals as the queen leaves the cottage and give chase to her, trapping her on a cliff. Uh, She tries to roll a boulder onto them, but lightning strikes the cliff before she can do so, causing her to fall and get crushed to death by the boulder. So hell yeah, yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah, queen. <laughs> that was a big part of the ride, by the way, yeah. and it was scary. It, it <laughs> so thanks fa- for asking. It in fact is scary thinking you're gonna get crushed by a boulder. Yeah, um, I cried. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then your parents were like, "Let's go on Indiana Jones, where you also get chased by a boulder." And you're like, "What the fuck is going on in Disneyland like, with these What boulders? is it with you and boulders? <laughs> they really went all in on the boulders at Disneyland. <laughs> I think there's that one John Mulaney bit where he talks about things that you thought would be more like dangerous or important as an adult. Quicksand being one. Boulders was also a major concern of mine. Literally, I've never thought Anvils about it. Anvils just like falling out of the sky. Dynamite, I thought was going to be a way bigger deal. <laughs> yeah, I just thought there was like dynamite laying around. No, never in my life have I seen that. Nope, never. Um... So, back in their cottage, the dwarves find Snow White being kept in a death-like slumber by the poison. Unwilling to bury her out of sight in the ground, they instead place her in a glass coffin trimmed with gold um, in a clearing in the forest. Together with the woodland creatures, they watch over her. A year later, so she's just, like, lying there for a year, which is kind of a weird choice, and we'll talk about that later, because I thought that was really weird, but anyway... A year later, the prince uh, learns of her eternal sleep and visits her coffin. Saddened by the apparent death, he kisses her, which breaks the spell and awakens her. 
The dwarves and the animals all rejoice as the prince takes Snow White to his castle. And that's the end. I don't know how much screen time the prince and Snow White actually have, like, together. <laughs> I think it's, like, maybe a minute. Yeah, they don't know anything about each other. No, they really don't. So, true love's first kiss, you know, that whole trope comes from this story. But there was a lot of, there's a lot of backlash about, about the prince. So, let's, let's kind of dive into it. Um, Wait, there was backlash at the time, too? Yeah, not, not, like, not like a, ba- not like backlash, but I think there's some, like, criticisms about the portrayal i think we'll we'll jump into it i i think okay well i'm excited well i mean we can just like we can kind of yeah we'll jump into it i want to first before we like jump into analyzing the movie um i do really want to like briefly talk about the history of disney because it is like pretty interesting up until this point like how this movie actually got made because it is thinking about it like in terms of like context of the time the idea to do just like a full two hour or like hour and a half like cartoon is like very outlandish um so let's talk about it so we all know and love disney i don't think there's a single person in america at least that like doesn't know the name disney even if you haven't seen the movies you know what it is it's um just very well known for you know at being in very prominent in everyone's childhood growing up But up until this movie, Disney, as most people know, focused on these, like, Mickey Mouse short films, like Steamboat Willie and kind of the Mickey Minnie Mouse um, little shorts that would play uh, before live action movies in, in movie theaters. At the time, it was really common to have not only just, like, your feature length motion picture, but you would have a cartoon and, like, a newsreel before the movie played because the movies were pretty short at the time. So, um... There were, like, there was, like, I I think even when we were kids, it was pretty common in a lot of movies for there to be, like, a little animated short before a movie. Do you remember that being a thing when we were kids? Yeah, sometimes. And I know, like, Pixar definitely paid homage to that as well, where they'd have kind of, like, the little short before the actual film. Yeah, so Pixar often did it, and they would often do, like, shorts that would be kind of, like, a foreshadow of, like, their next feature length or something like that. So, but it was actually common to most movies um actually did this back in the day they would play like a little they were most they were like predominantly disney so they would play these like mickey mouse shorts um old steamboat willie little steamboat willie <laughs> and if you watch those like old steamboat willie like shorts they they read as like like stop motion they read as like those kind of you know those little like booklets that like a you, flip book. yeah flip book yeah. that's kind of what they look like um, so they're not, like, super advanced in their technology. Not that now, like, not that Snow White really is, but for the time, I mean, they're black and white, they're, like, maybe two minutes long, and that's probably the extent of, like, the, you know, importance of cartoon and film. So, in 1934, Walt Disney, I don't know why, I couldn't actually find any information on, like, what possessed him to do this and really, like, go hard for Snow White, but... In 1934, he gathered his staff around in, like, a staff meeting and, like, announced that they were going to do a full-length cartoon, and they and he pitched it to them by acting out the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we read the book. <laughs> and, no, they were like, it did absolutely nothing to convince him that it was a good idea. Everyone was like, oh, my God, he's lost his mind. <laughs> well, I don't think that acting it out really helped. No. <laughs> 
And so um, everyone was kind of like, oh, shit, like, this, like, he's kind of, I mean, Walt Disney was, like, a little crazy. So they were like, oh, he's, like, really gone crazy. But he was just like, whatever, like, I'm, it's my company. I can do whatever I want. So he's just like, we're going to do it either way. <laughs> but so, um, it, yeah, so he, everyone thought it was going to be, like, a huge failure. It did, like, nothing. Him acting at all, his pitch was, like, terrible. But he's in charge, so he's just like, we're doing it anyways. But during the, like, making of the movie and storyboarding it there was a lot of concern like during the entire production that the movie was going to be a huge failure and like a massive financial failure for disney because like people were kind of like why would anybody want to see a full-length full-length feature film and at that time no one was really thinking about like we need we need something for kids like everything was just geared for adults and also it was all for adults yeah, yeah and 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 I, I say that but like I want to preface this movie being made it was not made for kids like it wasn't made with the idea of like we need a movie for kids it was like certainly a family movie but this movie has like a lot of elements that would that are really dark and actually would the purpose of it would go over a, a child's head for sure. No, I think that's true. I mean, I think for Disney and I could be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like he really wanted to push the limits of what was possible from like a production perspective. Like no one had ever done something like that. I think that's probably more what he was thinking about, but I think through this film realized that this was a really great way to connect with a younger audience. Um, but, I mean, there were a lot of kind of, like, slightly adult jokes. I, there was one where Doc is, like, he, because he always messes up his words, but he was talking about, like, nook and cranny, and then he messed up, and he said something, and, like, he started to say fanny. <laughs> you can, like, read about all the kind of innuendos that are in, like, Disney movies. Like, all of his cartoons kind of have them, or people read into them and analyze it. There's certainly, they exist in this movie, for sure. Um, a couple of Freudian slips by by Doc in this movie. For oh, sure. definitely. <laughs> so this movie, um, it was such a, like, so concerned about it during the production. It became widely and very openly known at Walt Disney Pictures as Disney's Folly. Like, that was the name for the nickname for the production of the movie. So, yeah. So he, he actually was, like, he believed so much in this movie that he mortgaged his house, like, twice to yeah. have the money. I was going to say, I think he wasn't super, like, financially secure at this point, too. So, I mean, I think he had had Oswald the Rabbit was one of his first shorts. And then that, I don't think he got copyrighted properly or his partner, like, ripped him off. Um, and so he ended up not making money off of that. So, luckily, he was able to find Mickey Mouse and kind of start to <laughs> make money that way. But he wasn't in, like, I mean, he wasn't in a financially sound position when he started this. Not at, not at all. And, I mean, think about it. I mean, it's. I think it's hard for us to conceptualize Disney, like, not being really, like, a thing. Like, that was prominent in people's lives or in, like, a social kind of cultural context. But all he had was, like, the Mickey Mouse shorts and Steamboat Willie. Like, that was pretty much it, and that's what he was known for. And it wasn't really anything to be known for. It was just, like, oh, those are the cartoons that play before the movie starts at the movie right. theater. They were entertaining, but they weren't feature length. And I think what he accomplishes in this film technically is so much more advanced than anything that anyone would have seen in, in Steamboat Willie or any of the other Mickey Mouse cartoons. Like, I mean, the, the backplate alone is like beautifully done. Um, I think just the artistry of this film is, is really impeccable. But yeah, you're not, it's not like anyone had seen that before where it was like, oh yeah, we like 
trust that he has this vision and was like, no one's ever done anything like this. And like, he, he's never done anything like that. (laughs) Right. And I think it was also a way to, um, get around the cost of making a live action movie in Technicolor because that was extremely expensive. But with an animated movie, you could just color it with like with storyboarding and pencil. And so he was able to make a, like a color film but it was fully animated, so it didn't cost as much money. So it was also, it was really, really genius that way, too. Because Steamboat Willie was in black and white, but he was like, why we don't need to do it that way? Because we're all, yeah, we're just we drawing it. So they do yeah. it in color, and it's it's super interesting. And if you think about it, seeing, like, a full-length cartoon in color for the first time, like, must have been really, really interesting. So, I mean, as soon as it came out, it was, like, an instant success. Like, everyone was like, oh, yeah, this is, like, this is it. So... Um, he actually ended up, I think he played like an early cut when they were kind of struggling financially with, with backing, um, the production, he played an early kind of early snippet of it for the president of like Bank of America or something who loved it and was like, yeah, we'll totally back this movie and like gave, like loaned him a bunch of money. So it, it, it was definitely like people didn't believe in him but he like had his vision and they they executed it he knew perfectly i mean how how cool is that i'm sure there are also a lot of people who also had visions and maybe just couldn't execute or you know weren't at the right place at the right time but it is pretty amazing that for sure and so i want that kind of brings me to like what we were talking about earlier and i want to get your take on this so the movie so i want to talk about like the animation like tech the technical animation of it so the movie was a huge instant success because of its ability. It was so unique and creative in its ability to be... Like, nobody had seen, like... Not only had there not really been, like, a feature-length cartoon film, there hadn't really been cartoon movies that were, like, depicting people. Like, Steamboat Willie and, like, Mickey Mouse stuff is, like, they're animals. So this was the first movie that did that. And it was really, really, like... It was lauded for being um, a cartoon that was able to reproduce a very wide range of human emotion i mean these like characters in this movie like have emotions and they have like human emotion and reaction to things which is really unusual for a cartoon in that time and um without any kind of live acting so it was really successful because of that and so it was it was really kind of like this unique split with um critics because while the animation was really successful in depicting human emotion there was also like a big consensus that the animation was super unrealistic so it's like weird how they kind of commingle and I think the that's where I'm saying like the biggest like backlash of the movie and and backlash might be the wrong word but the biggest kind of like um the most unrealistic part of the movie is how the prince was drawn um and so I I don't know I'd like to like get your take about that because I think it I think it does a really good job at kind of depicting all these different emotions and eliciting emotion out of audiences without like live acting but the animation is like of the of the the guy specifically is like pretty unrealistic looking (laughs) to me well even Snow White I think they definitely refine that as they move forward with their future animated uh films but it is yeah it is very interesting because they hadn't quite honed in on that very specific kind of cartoon style where everyone has like bigger eyes and like I don't know there's just a specific look but I totally agree with you it it definitely kind of brought you out of it like I was distracted by both of them quite often because it just there were certain things that just didn't look quite right (laughs) right and I think um 
I think the the reaction to the prince was like taken in, uh, under like pretty serious consideration when they made their next feature length film, which I I believe and I could be wrong about this, but I think their second one is Cinderella. I don't think there's one in between them, if unless I'm wrong. But I'm no, I I'm pretty sure Cinderella is the right. second one. But they they actually had I think Cinderella is when they actually had like li- like real people as um their like um. Uh, they they would like model the, the right. They would off like, of, like sketch a, them a yeah. real person because, and they would have yeah. them dressed in the costume and everything to capture the movement and everything. right. And yeah. I, they did that big with like um, Sleeping Beauty. I think was a big one that they did that with and, and uh, Peter Pan as well. So yeah, um, moving forward, like you can see the difference. And obviously, they're cartoons, so they're not like realistic, but you can see the difference between um, the prince and in in, in uh, Snow White and like the other princes moving forward and even the like the princesses too like they become a little bit more realistic looking (laughs) even between I would say kind of the like main most realistic characters because they almost feel like the dwarves are kind of a caricature like they're not meant to be as realistic but between like the queen like actually the queen looked pretty good but between the queen the prince and then Snow White there's kind of like quite a bit of different like facial styles happening in terms of like how they're portraying it and I feel like that's what's a little bit like disjointed and jarring as an audience member is because like the queen is definitely more of a caricature and I think that's also why she's kind of like I feel like her as a villain has stayed prominent especially kind of in like the Disney fandom but I feel like Snow White doesn't have like that same prominence that other princesses have and I feel like a lot of it is because of the way that she's animated I totally agree and what's interesting to me in watching it I was like the artists clearly have the capability to like draw these people better because the 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 queen like her her version the version of her as the old hag is like really scary I mean it's like very detailed (laughs) it's terrifying yeah and I think like I think that it's an image that even I've only seen this movie once but I can I know exactly what that character yeah. looks like and I think like even between her the queen as her like true form and then the queen is like this old like old witch like that's the scarier version of her it's not her in her true form which is super interesting oh no I mean like honestly like she is pretty fair like she looks good girls kept it she's kept it tight she looks pretty snatched she has her little she has like weird little nun thing going on with her little it's kind of habity I love yeah. it yeah a little habit I forgot the word <laughs> it's a little habity um so uh yeah so something just to think about like in terms of animation moving forward and as we go through all these movies we're gonna talk about like the different styles of animation in in each movie we we discuss but I want to talk a little bit about the dark uh the darkness behind um these movies as we talk about like what is this movie about before we kind of get into the like subject matter that it was based off of so while I think, you know, we talked about this, but while this is a beloved cartoon, I think it's ironic, um, like, watching this movie, I found it really interesting that we equate as a society cartoons with kids. It's like, those are kids movies, yet this was the first cartoon. Like, this is the blueprint for cartoons, and it is, like, most certainly not a children's movie to me. Because the Disney movies that come after this are certainly, like, more geared towards children. Like, I don't think, I don't think, like, Cinderella is, like, as scary as this or anything like that. No, Cinderella isn't as scary, but you know which one was, like, very traumatizing that came out in the 90s? The Little Mermaid. Like, Ursula scared me shitless. Oh, don't even get me started. 
farted. <laughs> that movie scared the shit out of me. That movie was the first movie I saw in the movie theaters. My parents took me. They, like, pre-purchased tickets. I got the little box with, like, the popcorn, the soda, and the candy. We sat there. Five minutes in the movie, we had to leave because I thought that fucking shark was going to eat flounder, and it scared the living shit out of me. And I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't watch it. It was terrifying. Not okay. <laughs> not okay. Not okay. There's a lot of, like, weird stuff going on in that movie, too. <laughs> but... I, I digress. I digress. Um, yeah. So I just I just think that's, like, super interesting that this movie is, like, the blueprint for children's cartoons, yet it's, like, most certainly not a children's movie. I think there's some dark, like, very dark underlying themes that this movie deals with that would be kind of, out, like, outside of the understanding that children would have at this time, I or just any time, really, because... One thing that I thought was that I just, like, got out of this movie was, like, this is a very interesting um, critique, and maybe not critique, but conversation about ageism and, like, female rivalry. I think it's, like, not something that's discussed in old movies, and you never, you never really see, like, I mean, until really, like, All About Eve or Sunset Boulevard, you're not really seeing movies analyze this like cultural kind of um disdain that the the industry had with like aging women and like aging kind of you know the you know the quote-unquote queens of Hollywood or these like fair like beautiful women when they get older and how and how they react to that and get so paranoid that they're going to be cast aside and I think this movie is actually kind of like an early analysis of that I don't know if you got that too but yeah no I was definitely thinking about that I think what's also interesting about this film and I mean I guess some of the other other animated films with princesses are similar but I would say that I mean Snow White is really the star of this movie I mean yes you have the seven dwarves but I would say that they're more supporting members like I think they're all kind of on equal footing but she's really, like, the heroine. I mean, you have the prince, but he doesn't really have any lines. He's at the beginning and at the end, and that's pretty much it. You have the queen, who's clearly the villain. But I do think it's very interesting to have a story fully centered around a female character. I don't... I, I think it's interesting. It's not like she's, like, some, like, powerhouse woman. Like, clearly there's some things that are a little bit problematic, personally, for me. But I do, I did think that that also was very interesting. Not only is it kind of speaking to like this rivalry between two women and this need to be beautiful and young, um, kind of beyond a point where that would be like realistic. But I think it's also interesting to center this narrative around female characters. Cause again, you, you don't really see that. I feel like usually women are kind of the supporting actors, but it's really about, the males right. in the film. Totally. And I think, um, you know, it is like this kind of age-old, very passe, you know, trope or tale of like the hubris of vanity in women or whatever, which is something that is a storyline that I don't really love, but it, it existed in movies, you know, back in the day. But I think it's I think it's super interesting that they do that kind of like you said and Snow White it, Snow White is the like clear like not she doesn't really do anything yet she's like re, like is the hero of the story and I think what's interesting about that is that this movie is not very um complex it's it's very black and white and it's and it's like in its ability to um kind of explain or express to the audience like this is a good versus evil story like literally her name is the evil queen like that is what she's called there is a clear like she is the bad guy snow white is the good guy 
but it doesn't really give you any background on like why that is and it's it's I think that's really interesting and I I that's one thing that didn't really like age well to me about this movie so I, I find that kind of like interesting that they did that where it is centered on these two female characters yet you know the end is about this true love's kiss of these two people and then they're gonna like ride happily off into the in you know into the sunset to the prince's castle the prince who by the way like lest we forget sexually assaults her because she is in fact asleep when he kisses her but you know that's that's... true i'm like what a weird choice like i don't feel like normal people have that urge like he's never actually really talked to her before i mean but even their first interaction was so creepy where he like kind of sneaks up on her like i don't know not a not a huge fan i also i don't know if we're gonna talk about this this is maybe not a theory I have a theory, like, I don't know, I think she dies, and then this is her dreaming, because the way that they do the, like, castle at the end was weird. It's, like, up in the clouds, so I was like, I like that idea. But that's her idea of heaven, is this guy who she's, like, met once, and it's, like, but it's, it's, like, this very old school, like, literally Prince Charming, like, the idea of Prince Charming, who comes and, like, saves the damsel, sweeps you off your feet, someone you don't really know anything about. Um, whereas what's, like, the the kind of interesting material of this movie and what they, you know, kind of choose not to explore, obviously because it's a cartoon, is this, like, relationship between the queen and Snow White. Yeah, and, like, why it is that way. I'm, it's also interesting, too, because clearly the father has passed um, as, as well as, like, her mom, like, you know, bio, biological mom, but, like, it's interesting because they don't really go into any of that either. Like, again, I think over time, these characters become much more like built out and interesting. Like, I think you even see that with Cinderella. There's a lot more story that they create and kind of identity that they create that gives Cinderella as a character more agency. And like, you understand as an audience member, like why she is the way she is. Like, they do establish stakes with, like, her evil stepsisters and her evil stepmother. Um, And in this story, like, that doesn't really happen. You kind of, like, you know, you don't really know why why this is the way that it is. Um, And it is interesting because I think that's changed over time, obviously. I totally agree, and that's such a great segue into my next section, which is the differences between this movie and the grim fairy tale that it's based on. Because the grim fairy tale that it's based on is, in fact, much more nuanced and much darker than than the movie is. And so I'm really glad that you brought that up about her background because in the grim fairy tale, they actually do go into her background a lot in, in that story. So... In the movie, we get, like, no real background about her birth mom or her dad, really, because they're they're dead, I think, by the time, yeah. And she, like, lives with her stepmom, which I think is interesting, kind of, to your point of, like, at least in, in Cinderella, there are stakes. I think, like, in this movie, clearly she's not being, like, treated well in Snow White. Like, she's, like, a scholarly maid and not being treated well. But in Cinderella, they, like, make a point to, like, kind of express, like, she's being, like, certainly being, like, abused by this, like, her stepmom. Oh, absolutely. In that that movie. And, like, her sisters are being, like, very, very abusive and manipulative of her. Um, So even even the stakes and, like, kind of the nuances are already, like, much more established there. But um, in terms of the grim fairy tale... In the book, they actually have a pretty gruesome opening of her mom's, like, childbirth scene with Snow White. So, in in the fairy tale, in the, in the story, um, there's, like, this really gruesome, like, birth of Snow White. And her mom dies on her, like, 
in childbirth basically and her like dying wish is that she has the most beautiful daughter like around or something like that and so that's what like causes this whole like thing moving forward because her dad then like believes she's the most beautiful woman most beautiful daughter all these things and it causes all of this like insecurity and paranoia in this like aging stepmom that she has and so they go into that background which they don't explore in in the movie which i find that is so super interesting. interesting yeah that feels like an interesting choice because i was gonna say too in terms of pacing for this film the pacing is very weird like There are certain scenes that go on for a very long time that while they are enjoyable, like I do have to say the cleaning scene is one of my favorites, but it goes on for a really long time. Like they really, and I think it's interesting knowing that this is kind of the jump from Mickey Mouse to a feature length film. It feels like they really play into kind of some of those, not like gimmicky, but you know what I mean? Like that kind of over the top, like goofy, cartoony, like, you know, tripping, falling, that kind of thing. Like that takes up a lot of time in this film instead of, like, the actual story. (laughs) And I wonder if that has to do with the fact that they're just like, look what we can do. We can, like, draw all of this stuff and do a movie that shows, like, a cartoon falling or something like that. So I wonder if that's just, like, one thing that didn't age well about it. Um, But I agree, like, it does does falter the pacing. Well, and I... I wonder if it's too, like, they knew it worked. They are like, this connects with people. This is what we're, like, we're pushing the limits in other ways, but maybe that, I don't know, I feel like you can't do everything perfect on the first try. Like No, you can't. But, you know, it is a, it's a beloved cartoon. Um, it might not have been so beloved, thank you so much for asking, if they had, in fact, included uh, this portion of the, of the, uh, of the book. So, in the movie, um, much like the book, the huntsman is told to kill Snow White and bring back the heart in this little jeweled box. What they don't tell you in the movie is that the reason they do that, that he, she wants him to bring her heart back, is because in the book there are some like pretty significant sub-themes of ca- like, casual cannibalism. Um, she actually wants her to bring back all those things to like eat. Like She wants to eat her heart. Well, I'm sure it like she thinks it'll make her... like younger and more beautiful too I could be wrong but that would that would be what I would assume is like oh by eating this then all like yeah and in the book she he in fact like kills like a boar and like takes out its like intestines and heart or whatever and she does eat them so um thinking that there's no <laughs> and so yeah, yeah that they, would have been very traumatic very I, d- I don't actually film? think that would have passed the censors even though it's a cartoon <laughs> that wouldn't that's true um no it's scary adventure at the end intestines just like fall on you (laughs) yeah oh my gosh (laughs) things i didn't think things i thought were going to be a bigger deal when i became an adult (laughs) the intestines falling it becomes like a weird fear of like everyone (laughs) literally um really funny in the book and i guess this is very prominent in fantasy structure which i didn't really realize until i thought about it they follow the rule of three, much like in comedy, So in the, but they don't in the movie, but in the book, uh, the queen actually makes three attempts to kill Snow White. So the first one is that she shows up as a clothing seller, and she's, like, convincing Snow White to buy a bunch of lace, and so she does, and then the, the queen, like, ties her to a chair with all these, like, silks and, like, slowly starts suffocating her, but the reason she doesn't succeed is because the dwarves come home before she suffocates to death, and they, like, untie her. Um, so she doesn't die there. The second way is that she comes back disguised as a comb seller, like a hair comb seller, and she has a poisonous comb, and when Snow White uses it, she passes out, like, like she does with the apple, but 
once again, the dwarves come home in time and, like, wake her up before it, like, takes effect. So, um, the third, the third one is that she does the apple thing, like, that happens, but it's different in the book because the queen, as the old hag, poisons only half the apple, and in order to get Snow White to eat it, to trust her, she eats, she takes a bite out of the unpoisoned half of the apple. Yeah, this is messy. It's super messy. And I'm like, I just feel like there's a lot of room for error in that plan. I feel like she needs better spell books. Yeah, I don't know. I am not sure. Um, And in the book, one thing that I think, don't know why they changed this for the movie, she's only asleep for like three days. She's not asleep for a year. It's only like a couple days. It's only a few days, which makes way more sense to me. Yeah. Like, why no, does she need great. to be asleep for a year? <laughs> well, because, you know, how else would the king or the prince know about it? It's a big, big kingdom, and the dwarves are kind of introverted. I guess. Who's but buying if these diamonds? God, I guess. But, like, if she's, if he's, like, her true, if she's his true love, like, he should just know. He should come find her. When, in fact, in the book, he does not, in fact, give her true love's kiss. That's, that's like, that doesn't happen in the book. What he does to wake her is that he just dislodges a piece of the apple that was simply stuck in her throat. Like the high, like she's like, Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> literally she was just choking to death for like three days in the book. And he's like, oh, I see the issue. She just has like an apple stuck in her throat. Let me get that. And that's, that's, and then she's like, ah, and then they like, they still get married in the book, but that's like, it's not like a romantic thing, but he's pretty, he's pretty fucking sadistic though, because the queen, this is why you gotta like know your person before you marry them. The queen doesn't in fact die in the book by being crushed by a boulder, like after being like given chase. So she gets away from that little situation in the book, but when they get married, the prince, he, um forces the queen to like dance at their wedding in like red hot iron slippers until she drops dead (laughs) that's how she dies in the book that's dark i'm into it (laughs) you're like i love it (laughs) love that um so yeah those are the those are those are the differences between the book and the movie um very wow that is fascinating much, much darker yeah, I would rather see that version. I think it would be like pretty fucked up, but I mean, minus, <laughs> minus the like three times of her coming. Yeah, to it's see just that. like so messy. Like I just feel like or she's this like a pretty amateur sloppy, witch. Though, like everyone talks about how she's so powerful, but then like she can't really kill anybody. Also, like literally, you're being chased by like seven dwarves, and like they're on like baby deer. Like <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean? Like. There's nothing you can do, like, oh to, like, I don't know, you know? Like, I don't Literally, know. Literally, though. Like, actually, though. <laughs> like, you, like, she she was acting like she was being chased by something, like, I, I mean, I know that they were, like, really mad, She's, but, like, like, being chased by seven dwarves. <laughs> their tiny one, fists, like, ah! <laughs> she's being chased by seven dwarves, one of whom is, like, having a constant allergy attack, and the other one is, like, a narcoleptic. <laughs> so, like, not really, like, you know the you know the the first string all-star players out here no yeah so i don't think i don't think she's yeah the red hot coal thing is sadistic but i like it 
I want to see that. I like that. Because that would actually make me like the prince a little bit more. Because, yeah, we know nothing about him. He has no personality. That would make you Um, like the prince more? Like, that's pretty fucked up. It would make me like him more. But, like, at least, you know what I mean? Like, at least he would have done something besides just be, like, creepy. You're like, I'd rather him be a sociopathic sadist than just be a wet noodle. (laughs) I mean, I mean, yeah, same, honestly. I agree. Um, so yeah, I mean, she deserves it. No, I, I totally agree. She's fucking terrible. She was like (laughs) abusing a child for like most of her life. So yeah, a hundred percent. Um, all right. So on that note, let's do some fun facts before we wrap it up. Oh, yay. My favorite. I only have a couple, but I think they're pretty good. So, um, the first one, I just like included this because I thought it was so cute. So Snow White was nominated for best musical score at the 1938 Academy Awards and the next year, Walt Disney was awarded an honorary Oscar for the movie, um, but the re- but the award was unique because instead of just giving him like a regular Oscar, they gave him an Oscar that was like one normal like Oscar statue with seven mini Oscar statuettes to like signify Wait, that's so seven cute. dwarves. Isn't that adorable? So that cute. is very cute. Um, Nicely done, Academy. I know. That was, I was like, okay, Academy, we see you. We need that energy moving forward. That was like a good move. I know. We should bring that back. I mean, yeah. not that that Let's just give everyone sense, like little just, mini statuettes. Just a tiny, a so teeny, cute. tiny Oscar. I love it. Um, okay, and the second one, the, the, the last one that I have, just because I thought this was kind of explained a lot about like why this movie is so fucking dark. So, for inspiration on, like, how to storyboard this movie, Disney made his artist watch Nosferatu and, like, every other German expressionist film um, to, like, inspire them to, like, do the storyboarding for this movie. And they wanted to I mean, it, it be, is like, very dramatic. Yeah, it's, like, very... Yeah. It's, like, noir. Cartoon noir. <laughs> it is. Yeah, especially the scenes with the, the queen, for yeah, sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, she kind of does have, like, a... Nosferatu vibe about her, I guess. No, she definitely does. Yeah, that makes sense. It's giving Nosferatu. It's giving Nosferatu, yes, queen. <laughs> yes. Um. Well, that's kind of all I've got, but in conclusion, I want to know a couple things from you. The first is, what, like, do, well, it's a two-parter. Do we think this movie is iconic and why? I absolutely think this movie is iconic. I mean, I think... Like, again, there's going to be critiques for it. It's almost it's almost 100 years old. It's, what, 80-something years old? Yeah. So, I mean, I think in that regard, like, as an art form, cartoons and animated films have really come a long way since then. But I do think that it deserves to be iconic. Like, it was the beginning of something that has become such an important part of cinema that... I think also bridges the gap between generations in a really special way. Like, I don't think that there's a lot of films that adults and children like to watch together. And so I think for that reason, like, it absolutely deserves to be iconic. What it did really was new and, like, risky, but it started, I think, a movement um, that's become such a prolific part of, of film. So I would say, yeah, I totally agree. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. I think that this movie is iconic. And just like you said, like, yeah, we've come a long way. But like, without this movie, we wouldn't have anything to come a long way from. I mean, this was the start of um, 
kind of normalizing these like cartoon I like full length films which are such a huge institutional and cultural part of like our childhoods and you know it's like you said I think the most important thing that you said was it bridges the gap between generations and it's like something that this movie came out even before we were born this movie had come out 60 something you know years before we were born and we were still watching it it's a movie our parents watched as kids and so it's just like it's one of those things no, it was a movie you could watch with your grandparents and your parents like it, it covers so much and I think these films continue to be nostalgic but um yeah i I thought it was really fun to rewatch all this scary. I totally agree. As I mean, a it, child. even like it even bridges some cultural like differences too. Cause like my mom, not being American, also watched this movie as a child in 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 Iran, and so um, it it's kind of one of the, it's kind of something that just is one of those things that is like everyone all over the world knows about this story, um, because it is so iconic for a reason. Um, but given that. My last question for you before we wrap it up is what is between the Disney, like the Disney cartoons, not the like Pixar or like computer animated movies, the the classic Disney cartoons, which one is your favorite? I have to say my favorite growing up was Lilo and Stitch. I don't know if that's considered classic. Totally. As long, no, I think what I mean by that is just like not the computer generated animation ones. Yeah. I think the Lilo and Stitch one was my favorite. I loved that one. We used to watch it all the time. I was like obsessed with Elvis. That I was one of my favorites. I also loved Aladdin and I loved Beauty and the Beast because I felt like I really identified with Belle, but the Beast part was very scary and I didn't like that. So <laughs> could watch the first part. I like really loved the idea of her French village though. Yeah, her French you? village is so cute. Aladdin for sure. I'm like a strong, it was like one of the first strong independent like female princesses and she's brown. So like obviously a lot um, being like half, so you good. know, half Middle Eastern. I was like representation. Yes, please. <laughs> um, yeah, Aladdin probably. And then uh, I think I would say I honestly love the princess and the frog. I think that was a good one. It's not classic. Though, because it did come out, like, more recently, but I, I did love that one. I thought that one no, was No, so I cute. think that, like, that, that style, though, still counts. Like, I think there's kind of that whole, like, within Disney, like, the Disney movie kind of universe. There's, like, yeah, the Disney princesses is definitely, like, it's kind of its own thing. So I think you could, I think it's fair to kind of group those all together. Well, that's kind of all I've got um, on... Uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, uh, a classic movie, the start of um, a new era in filmmaking that led to so many different creative like expressions of, of animation. So I'm really excited to talk about that in our next few episodes. Um, next week, join us or next time, because honestly, <laughs> what is what is time? We don't know when we're going to release the next episode. What Let's a, be real. What a concept. What a concept. Why should it be so full? Why should it be so <laughs> I'd be so bold. Uh, next episode that we're gonna release, I'm super excited about, and it was like the reason that we decided to do an animation month. Um, we are gonna be talking about a movie that will like wreck me every time I watch it. Um, join us as we discuss Howl's Moving Castle. Oh, just saying I'm it made so me like excited. Tear up a I know. We I've have, been looking I forward just, to this. I just so want much. our listeners to know like how much work we put into deciding which studio Ghibli movie to, to like it was a process because how how do you pick it's like picking a favorite 
child. Like, they're... <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? No, totally. Like, the only... My only stipulation was, like, I will not talk about Spirited Away because, like, I just physically cannot watch the movie. It actually scares me so much. <laughs> yeah, that movie... Traumatic film. That movie is really traumatizing, so not that one. We wanted to have fun. <laughs> not, the, not that House Movie Castle is, like, fun, but, like... They're all so good. Oh, God. Talk They're about eliciting so emotion. Yes, we're going to do it. And I so rewatched excited. My Neighbor Totoro not too long, sobbing. I was Ugh, sobbing. Every time. Am I okay? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no. Um, but join us next time as we talk about Howl's Moving Castle and maybe like a mini minisode between now and then. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> um, we'll see what's happening we'll in Hollywood happening and in report Hollywood. back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but until then, cheers. Cheers.